so lovely to be with you this afternoon, folks. Really, thanks for your welcome. Great to worship with brothers and sisters from far from places like Streatham. I <laughs> um, just wanted to talk about uh, passports for a second. Is there anyone that you know who's able to travel without a passport? There's one person who doesn't, doesn't need... It's the Queen, right? She doesn't need a passport. And I was reading an article that says, The Queen doesn't need a passport, she is one. <laughs> yes, you read that right. Queen Elizabeth II doesn't need a British passport to travel abroad. This is one of my favourite fun facts. Since the Queen makes history tonight by becoming Britain's longest reigning monarch, as you can tell us a year and a half ago, seemed like a good time to share. While travelling overseas, the Queen does not require a British passport. The cover of British passport features the royal arms, and the first page contains another representation of the arms, together with the following wording. Um, As the British passport is issued in the name of Her Majesty, it's unnecessary for the Queen to possess one. All other members of the royal family, including the Duke of Edinburgh, have passports. So, <laughs> so the Queen is the one person who doesn't need it because she's on the front, right? So she's like, just check out the front. Yeah, that's me. And um, isn't that kind of cool? And I'm talking today about the baptism of Jesus. So that's uh, the basic theme of what we're talking about. And you might, you might kind of figure out why I've mentioned that in the introduction. Now, if you have the, uh, the church Bibles, we, I think I'm going to be referring to a few verses here and there. So you can follow it on the sheet, but it'd be more helpful if you could look at it on the Bible, which is on page 1029. 1029. Um, what is baptism? Well, I don't want to get into controversy that might divide us in commission, because some of us are Anglicans and some of us are not Anglicans. But I think we can probably all agree, well, let's have a look at what, what the Bible says in this chapter, in chapter 3, in verse 3, talking about John the Baptist, and it says he went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So baptism, I think probably most Christians would say, is an outer representation of an inner spiritual reality. And what is that reality? It's the reality of the repentance from sin and reception of God's forgiveness. Whether that's as a baby or as a teenager or as an adult. It's the idea of being uh, turning away from sin and coming to God in repentance, faith, forgiveness. So, by definition, baptism is for sinners, isn't it? Because sinners, like you and like me, are the ones that need to repent and be forgiven. So the one person who doesn't need to be baptised, is Jesus. Because he is not a sinner. So he's ineligible. And his cousin, John the Baptist, in another gospel, says, hold on a second, you should be baptising me, you know. Because he kind of clocks that. You know, this is the righteous one, the holy one of God. And we know that if we look at chapter 1, verse 35, if you just flip back a couple of pages, the angel Gabriel was talking to Mary. We've had that a couple of weeks ago, probably at Christmas time. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, the Holy One. Which one of us would dare to describe ourselves as the Holy One? It'd be laughable, wouldn't it? Just have to ask your husband or wife or someone who lives with you, you know? Is he the Holy One? No, he's not the Holy One, especially not first thing in the morning, you know? <laughs> Jesus is the Holy One. He doesn't need to be baptised. Jesus needs to be baptised as much as the Queen needs a passport. If, a ba- if the baptism is a kind of passport to heaven, then King Jesus doesn't need a passport. He is the passport. And yet, he does get baptised. 
And I've never spoken on this before, and I've never really thought that much about it before, so I want to just highlight three things about the baptism of Jesus. The humility of Jesus, the affirmation of Jesus, and the commission of Jesus. And to help you to remember these things, I want to think about head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Okay, the kids have all gone out, never mind. Um, still here, yeah, the kids of all ages. Um, I want to think about knees first, and then head and shoulders together, and then toes. The knees is the humility, because... You need to kneel down if you're going to be commissioned. And Alex and I, uh, in summer 2014, had to kneel down on the stage at commission to receive our commission. So we had to kneel. So think about your knees. That's the humility aspect. And the head and shoulders is usually when you're commissioned, someone will lay their hand on your head or your shoulders. All right? In order to give you that affirmation that you need. You need the humility. You need the affirmation. And then also you need the toes because you need to go out on the commission. All right. So knees, head and shoulders, and then toes. So let's think about the knees, the humility of Jesus. So let's look at Jesus on his knees, okay, if you like, metaphorically. Verse 21 of chapter 3. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. <clears throat> when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. The amazing humility of Christ. Preacher James Kennedy, he said to his congregation once, I hope you all heard my last sermon on humility. It was a masterpiece. (laughs) And uh, Catherine Graham, she's a publisher of the Washington Post. She'd met many world leaders in her time. And I wonder if this could apply to Donald Trump. You have to judge that yourself. She was asked, what's the single most important trait in all great leaders? And she said, the absence of arrogance. Isn't that interesting? If that is the case and Catherine Graham is right, then Jesus is the greatest of all great leaders because he was completely without arrogance. And he was full of humility. Philippians 2, that wonderful hymn, probably the oldest hymn, says, He who is in very nature God did not see equality of God, something to be kind of grasped onto for dear life, but emptied himself, laid aside his majesty, if you like, as we sing in the old song, and took on a human nature, servant's nature, even to the point of death on the cross. Ultimately, humility is the distance, the light years that were travelled by Jesus to become one of us. And that's what Christmas is about. The unbelievable humility of the incarnation. You know, uh, infinity contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. The humility of Jesus. By his spirit, God the Son hovered over the surface of the waters at the dawn of time. He divided the waters. He made the waters. And we know from the book of Hebrews that Jesus holds together all of the hydrogen, the two hydrogen and the one oxygen atoms to make a water molecule, doesn't he? Because he holds everything together. He sustains all things by the power of his word. And that is who we're talking about here. And yet this same personage condescended to lower himself down into this same substance of water, this dirty water, with these dirty people that had gone before him, contaminating it physically and spiritually. Before Jesus, the person who got baptised before Jesus was a sinner, a dirty sinner. The person who got baptised after Jesus was a sinner. Jesus was the sinless one in the middle of sinners, in the midst of sinners. Just like when he died on the cross, he was died between two sinners. Incarnated, assimilated, becoming one with us. And yet still sinless himself. Unbelievable humility of Christ. He could have walked on the water. When he got baptised, he could have rocked up and just kept walking. Yeah, but he went down into it, didn't he? He went down into it. 
Just as he could have hovered over the earth. He could have easily asked for the angels to come and rescue him, but he didn't. He allowed himself to be crucified for us. And I want to think about two aspects of his humility briefly. His humanity and his holiness. His humanity. Jesus is the human being. He's the human. What is a human? Jesus is a human. All the rest of us to some extent are subhuman. Because we've been marred and scarred by the fall. Jesus is the human. If you want to see what a human is, look at Jesus. And he is baptised along us, alongside us, to restore, to begin to restore to us our humanity. His fellow human beings, his brothers and sisters. He is not ashamed to call you his brother and his sister. Isn't that lovely? You don't deserve it. You're dirty. He's clean. And yet he invites you to be clean with him, baptised with him, one with him, his brother, his sister. What a champion. What a wonderful Lord. The humanity of Christ. Paul says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Christ identified with us at his baptism, we identify with Christ at our baptism. One of the reasons why Jesus baptised, identified with us so that we identify with him. It's becoming one with Christ is at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? He became one of us, we become one with him. Humanity of Christ. He's still a human now. He'll always be a human. He'll always be one of us. And his holiness as well. Jesus is entirely like us touching his humanity, but he's entirely unlike us touching his holiness. We do not have a high priest who's unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What a perfect combination. We need someone like us so he can be relatable to us. We can identify with him. But we need someone who's a bit different from us. Because if he's a sinner too, he's going to die too. And we're going to need another priest and another priest and another priest. And it never ends. But he is able, he lives to save us to the uttermost. He's the high priest. And we need no other. I don't understand why Bono said I still, don't, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because <laughs> I have. And that's Jesus. The humanity and the holiness of Christ. Jesus, the sinless one, went through a sinner's baptism as he went through a sinner's death. As our substitute, our representative. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The great swap. So we think about the humility of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the holiness of Christ. Now, C.S. Lewis famously said that quote about humility, some of you might know it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And Christ is the, the ultimate example of the unthinking of the self, as Tim Keller calls it, doesn't he? Freedom of self-forgetfulness. You know, he made himself nothing. He took up a service nature. He, to die on a cross, that's the ultimate self-negation, isn't it? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And that wonderful carol says that he crossed sapphire-paved courts for stable floor. Thou who is rich beyond all splendour, all for love's sake, became poor. Paul puts it this way, very simply. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The humility of Jesus. Do you know this humble love of Jesus yourself? We assume that we are all understanding the gospel, we're all Christians, but maybe you don't yet know this. I want you to examine your heart, whether you know something of this beautiful humility of Christ's love in your heart. And if you do, in 2017, as we go to the second Sunday of this year, 
this new year, how is that humility of Christ being manifest in your life? How is that starting to transform your relationships, your work life, your family? How is the humble Christ living in you to make you like himself? If you are united with him in baptism, you need to be united with him in humility. So do I. So firstly, the knees, the humility of Christ. And secondly, head and shoulders, the affirmation of Jesus. Some of you might have heard of the five love languages. How's that if you've heard of the, the love languages? Yeah, excellent. More women than men, that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> a few men, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> It's a good book. It's interesting. Um, some people have quibbled about it. So if you know the love languages, you've got physical touch, you've got gifts, you've got quality time, you've got uh, acts of service, probably my favourite one. You know, I know, know I'm loved if you give me a lift or do washing up or something like that. Um, words of affirmation. It's a big one, isn't it? And you know if you've got children, or you, you know people who've got children, you know that in fact, all five are important, aren't they? But for different people, different things are important. It's quite an interesting thing, you know. Some people, they might like, well, every, every day you give me a different gift, but all I ever wanted was a hug, you know. <laughs> but we're going to think about words of affirmation here, because this is when Jesus, he gets the ultimate word of affirmation, as we look down at verse 21b. And as he was praying, Jesus, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. You know, prayer opens the heavens. Let's pray, friends. Lovely to have so much open prayer. I like that in your church. We have quite a lot in our church as well. Prayer opens the heavens. Jesus prayed, the heavens opened. What does it mean when the heavens opened? Every time the heavens opened in the Bible, God reveals something of himself, something of his character. You know the story of Peter, when he's out on the roof and he has that vision, he's kind of hungry, he's wondering whether he's eating some cheese or something, or some kind of grand to get to but he sees that sheep that heaven opens he sees a sheep coming God's trying to communicate something important here guess what the Gentiles can be kosher too alright God is saying something when he opens the heavens he's revealing something to himself and we see something in a minute I'm going to say what he's going to reveal but I just wonder whether we say well my prayer I'm not the son of God so my prayers couldn't open heaven well James says no Elijah was a human just like us and his prayers shut the heavens and opened the heavens G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and left untried. And I wonder if the same thing's true about prayer. That we don't see the heavens opened in our churches and in our individual lives because we don't really pray, because we somehow think that we don't have that kind of access, we don't have that kind of power. But the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And you are righteous if you're in Christ, not based on your performance over the last 24 hours. Which is middling, isn't it? <laughs> Might be terrible. <laughs> but you still come to God now and pray powerfully in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so prayer unlocks the heavens, and if it's true for Jesus, it's also true for those that are in Jesus. Through our prayers, God in Christ revealed Himself by opening the heavens to us. And in this particular instance, He wants to reveal Himself as the three in one. So here we see the sun. Don't we? Visible and audible, splashing down into the water and gasping as he emerges from it. A real flesh and by human being called Jesus. But we also see the spirit. Do you see that? Do you see him descending in bodily form like a dove? Unusual to be able to see the Holy Spirit, isn't it? But you see him like a dove, the dove of peace, the dove of God's presence. But you also hear the Father. You hear the voice. 
from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Audible voice of God from heaven. That's what happens when people pray. Extraordinary things, a revelation of God. Sounds a little bit charismatic. (laughs) I'm just saying we should maybe kind of be asking for some of this stuff, you know. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You know, it's horrible when you don't hear from people that you love. I was reading a story that came out on New Year's Day called The Incredible Sulk. A husband gone for 20 years without speaking to his wife (laughs) because she upset him. (laughs) What did she do? It's really, Google it, it's brilliant. They've got the video footage of him speaking to for the first time after 20 years. They're sitting on a park bench. It's very, very moving. Definitely watch it, it's brilliant. And they arranged this meeting in the park where they had their first date and their children are watching. Their video, it's all been videoed live. And it, annoyingly, the audience are laughing. It's like, shut up, turn that off. Because the kids are crying and it's so moving. And, uh, that, uh, and the man says, somehow it's been a while since we talked. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and he says, you were so concerned about the kids. I guess he felt kind of a bit jealous. I think that was the thing, he didn't, when they had kids. So he stopped talking to her because she was giving her attention to the babies. And he says, Yumi, up until now, you've endured a lot of hardship. I want you to know I'm grateful for everything. And it's so moving because she's a very humble lady and she, she accepts him back and she doesn't bash him about the head and body, which is what I'd be tempted to do. <laughs> Your reconciliation is a beautiful thing. And hearing from the voice of somebody who's close to you, if you haven't heard from them for many years. You know, Jesus, as the Son, lived in uninterrupted, blissful communion with the Father for eternity past. And then he became incarnate as a baby. And he's 30 years old. Now, we know that when he was 12, he went into the temple and he was debating and he was learning the teachings of the law, but has he actually heard the voice of his father yet for 30 years? This is a very thrilling moment. For Jesus, age 30, more thrilling than on the park bench for the wife to hear her husband's voice after 20 years, I suspect. And what does he hear? What, what is the thing that God chooses to say? Like a lot of dads, yeah, if you've got 99%, make sure you get 100 next time for the test. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And I do want to think about the content of what God says to his son. So let's think about this content of this affirmation. You know, um, you can tell what's important to somebody by what comes out of their mouth, don't you think? The Bible says, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I live in a big house with lots of people, and one of the people who lives in my house is my goddaughter, and my goddaughter, she's 16, so she's trying to learn, but she's still at this kind of stage. She comes in, she goes, you know, mum says, oh, I've had a terrible day, I've got a headache, you know, and, uh, and her dad's like, oh, I'm a bit busy with this. And she comes in, she goes, right, what's for dinner? Always, you know. It used to be, and you can see now, the little cogs wearing. She comes in, she goes, because she's 16, so she's learning a little bit, and she goes, hello, everyone, how are you? How has your day been? Good. What's for dinner? <laughs> she's like, I've got, I've got to get all that out of the way. Let's get to the important stuff. Because out of the abundance of my heart, my belly, my mouth speaks, right? <laughs> That's what's on my mind. What am I going to eat now? And if you start dating somebody for the first time, you kind of like, you meet up with your friends and you say, I want to, you want to tell, oh, he's so amazing, she's so wonderful, you know. Or if you've seen a great movie, you go, 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 see this film, it's so brilliant. You know, Rogue One, geeky. You know, whatever it is. And that's what God is like too. You know, out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. And what comes out of God's mouth? Let's look at it again. 
You are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. In another gospel it says, you give me great joy. Jesus has been waiting 30 years maybe to hear that. You know, when God speaks, reality changes. Let there be light. There is light. And I want to suggest to you that if what is abundantly in God's, the Father's heart, is love of his Son, and pleasure in his Son, that that's how he wants us to regard Jesus too. The affirmation that the Father gives to the Son, we need to make that kind of affirmation as well, to the Son. So Jesus says in John's Gospel, The Father himself loves you because you've loved me, and have believed that I come from God. God loves us because we love his Son. And we love to assess ourselves, even as Christians, on so many criteria. Our looks, our academic prowess, our bank balance, our successful family life, you know, our, our God and whatever it is that's important to you that gives you some validity or status. And we always slip back into it if we're not careful. But at the end of the day, God's assessment, the Father's assessment of us is, what do you think about my son? I'll tell you what I think about him. I love him and I'm pleased with him. But what do you think about him? Because that is the defining criteria of Judgment Day. What did you think about my son? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, isn't he? Please make sure that your assessment, your affirmation of the son is the same as the father's. Jesus, you are my saviour, I love you, I'm well pleased with you, I'm satisfied with you. Does your affirmation of Christ line up with God's affirmation? So I wanted to think about the content of what God says, but I also want to think about the timing of it. The timing of the affirmation is interesting, because God does speak from heaven on a few other occasions in the Gospel. So, for example, in Transfiguration, he says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Peter does not really succeed in doing that until later. Let's build a tent for you. The timing of this, I think, is really remarkable, and I was kind of thrilled by this, because, question, has Jesus actually done anything? We're only in chapter 3. He's kind of hung out at the temple and asked a few questions. He's done nothing. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't planted the church in Streatham. He hasn't had any kids. He hasn't got married. He's a good boy for his mother. But he hasn't done very much. He's not done any miracles. He's not cast out any demons. He's not said anything at all. And yet God still says, I'm really pleased with you. I love you. I think the timing is important. It's important for us, as we identify as adopted sons and daughters of the Father, that that is where, that's the rock of our security and our foundation, is our affirmation in Christ. Is that you should be able to hear with me those words, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, I'm pleased with you. Well, I haven't done anything. It doesn't matter. Because your, God's pleasure in you is to do with your status and identity in Jesus, isn't it? And that never changes. You know, how, how fruitful was 2016 for you? It was, alright? But God is pleased with you because you're in Jesus, before you even do anything. And from that foundation, he's prepared good works for you to walk in them. By grace you're saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So I want you to think about the timing. It was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that God gave him this powerful affirmation. He's far more interested in relationship than in performance. God loves Jesus, the human being, before he loves Jesus, the human doer. And he loves you, the human being, before he loves you, the human doer. So let's learn from the affirmation, not just 
what, how do we regard Christ in our own feelings, but also how God regards us? Thirdly and lastly, let's think about, uh, we thought about the humility of Christ on his knees. We thought about the affirmation God's hand upon his shoulder and on his head, saying, I love you, no matter what, you've done nothing yet, but I love you. And now we think about how God sends Jesus out on his commission. So finally, the commission of Jesus, because we think about commission Sunday, and the toes, going out on your toes. Have you ever been given a mission? It was pretty thrilling when, when Alex and I were with our brothers on the stage, you know, and you, you feel a sense of occasion, the guy's hands on your shoulders, everyone's praying for you, there's about a thousand people there. It was kind of awesome, but you just, I don't know how you felt, but I was like, wow, I, I kind of got to take this seriously, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, had I, had I not thought that before then. <laughs> just see what happens. But apart from anything else, they've given us a lot of money, you know? Uh, they, they're believing in us. They're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. You know, they've really they've invested in us. I would think I was the last Antioch planter. I was I was appointed a week before the revived conference, right? So I literally was like 11:59 p.m. You know, <laughs> deadline at midnight, and I was I was feeling like so lucky to be there by the skin of my teeth. You know, but if you ever been given a commission, you know, you've ever have you ever felt the hand, like Tony Blair said, the hand of history on my shoulder? Have you ever felt like yeah, I've been sent to do this thing? You know, and maybe your mission is not that. Maybe your mission is to be a mum. You know, and I always think that's an amazing mission, isn't it? If you could bring up two kids, or one kid, or three kids, or four kids, to, in, the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they would walk with Jesus the rest of their life, mission, what a brilliant mission that is. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, I'm just a mum. You are a mum. How awesome is that? Isn't that the best? Isn't that the best? And then there's also these, these, these preachers and people like that. Do, they also do some mission. But what a mission to be a mum, isn't it? do you think? I, I just think we've all got a mission from God and we've got to find out what that is. And Jesus has his mission. God has his hand on his shoulder and he sends him out. And it says in verse 23 that when Jesus himself was about 30 years old, he began his ministry. What a long time to wait. All those tables and chairs he made in the carpenter's workshop. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got, no, not hearing anything. Okay, okay. Another 18 years. You know, just at the right time, Christ was commissioned. Perfect timing of Jesus' commission. And I wanted to, I never realised this before, but when, when God the Father commissions him, he says, you must, he gives him the affirmation, and he sends him out on his ministry, and then we had the long bit that our sister Penny, <laughs> you, great job. And then, chapter 4, have a look at it, page 1030, as soon as he's baptised, what happens next? He's in the place of water, he's in the place of refreshment and blessing, of affirmation. And his first port of call after that is the desert. And if you've been baptised, you probably know something of that. Like the first thing that happens after you get baptised, if you get baptised as an adult or as a teenager, you realise the first thing that happens is you get battered <laughs> quite often. You know, you're full of enthusiasm. And then the next couple of weeks, it's just horrendous. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing. My goddaughter says, what's for dinner? <laughs> he was hungry. And I've never noticed it before, but I was studying it, and I thought, what's the next? Okay, so Jesus hears the voice of the Father saying, you're my son, whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. What's the next voice he hears? The voice of the devil. And what does the devil say? Look at verse 3. If you are the son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. So he's had this amazing, unconditional affirmation of the Father's love for him. And the next thing he hears is the accuser saying, yeah, but are you really, though? But are you really the son of God? 
Because he hasn't looked after you very well, has he? Because you've had nothing for 40 days in the desert. And actually, you better do a magic trick to prove that you're the son of God. It's reversing this idea of this unconditional affirmation of the love of God before we do anything. It's saying, by works you are saved, Jesus. You, God doesn't love you for who you are. You've got to do something to prove it. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. Don't worry, my father is still my father. He still looks after me and I trust him. And I trust in his word. The devil tries to get us to doubt the word of God. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden? So Christ is so secure in his affirmation that even when he goes into the desert, he goes into that wilderness place and he starts his mission and he is the true Israel of God for 40 days instead of 40 years and he emerges unscathed as a victor against temptation. He stands strong because he knows who he is in God's love and he knows God's word. And we're going to have that same issue that the devil is going to try to tempt us to believe that our sonship in God, in Christ, is insecure and that we need to prove ourselves through all the different endeavours that we do in life and we wander far from the gospel because we're not working in his strength, we're not trusting in our affirmation as his sons and daughters. Please come back to that today if you've forgotten that. If you've been striving and striving and striving to be a good Christian, forget, I hate that expression, I'm trying to be a good Christian. Oh man, I'm in Christ. God is my father. He loves me with an undying love. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing, all of my screw-ups on a daily, secondly basis. I've probably sinned many times even in this sermon. And you have listening to it. But God doesn't love me based on how well I listen or how well I talk. He loves me because of Jesus. Operate on the strength of that and go out and fulfil the commission that God has given you in your life. Go in the armour of God. What was Jesus' commission as we finish? His commission was Mark 10.45 The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' mission was to die on Good Friday and rise again. Your commission is to tell other people about that. You don't have to die on Good Friday you just have to tell the good news about Good Friday. What is that going to look like in 2017? Who are you going to invite to have you ever wondered? You must invite someone to this. Surely you must do that, mustn't you? Why wouldn't you want to share the bread that you found? You know? This is not to earn your way back into heaven because you've lost your place. It's because you are his son and he is pleased with you and he loves you. Now go out and do the commission to bring others into that security. Invite someone to that. Have someone in mind. Pray about who that person might be. What's it going to look like in 2017? The baptism of Jesus, his humility on his knees, the affirmation that God the Father places on him, you are my son, whom I love, I'm well pleased with you, and then going out on his toes to make disciples of every nation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your son Jesus. We love him and we're pleased with him because he's done something for us that we can never do for ourselves, which is to open up the gate of heaven and say, come on in. It means that because of Jesus, I will always be accepted by you, Father. And I can cry, the spirit of adoption, I can cry, Abba, Father, not a spirit of fear, but I can say to you, you are my dad. You will always be my dad. You will always be my father. When I sin, you'll be my father. When I'm righteous, you'll be my father. 
when I'm in between me, be my father, and you'll always be pleased with me, and I will hear that voice say, well done, good and faithful servant, because I'm in Christ, I'm in your son. I'm clothed with him, I'm baptised with him, I die with him, I'm buried with him, I'm raised with him. I'm in glory with him. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Because Jesus humbled himself to do this. He knelt down with me so I can stand up, I can go out, I can be affirmed, I can go and do my part in the Great Commission to bring others into that amazing privilege. Lord, please help us. Please help us in our weakness to know who we are in you. So from that strong foundation of affirmation, we can fulfil your commission this week and the rest of 2017. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.